You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. All talk here in Washington, D.C. turns to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. Speaker Pelosi has beat the political odds and reclaimed the gavel. We're talking right now about 2024 jockeying amongst Republicans. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. The only way things happen is if Republicans and Democrats work together. Unfortunately for President-elect Biden, this is a time when he's getting the most support he's going to get in the Democratic Party. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. Complete inauguration preview. This as President Trump gives departing words. What will a Biden administration get to on day one? We, we begin tonight with the big story, which, of course, is Inauguration Eve. This as President-elect Joe Biden gets ready to deliver remarks, trying to revitalize the economy and retake back the fight against COVID-19. I'm joined for the hour uh, by my Bloomberg Politics contributor, Rick Davis. He is a partner at Stone Court Capital, former campaign manager for John McCain's 2008 presidential campaign, as well as Drew Lippman, who is a policy director at Brownstein Hyatt Farber and Shrek and former chief of staff for Senator Al Franken, as well as the former policy director for Senator Barbara Boxer. Rick, uh, let's begin with you. I mean, what are the themes that we are going to be watching for tomorrow afternoon when President-elect Biden uh, speaks to the nation? Well, I think the basic theme that's going to supersede all, almost everything that happens throughout the course of the day is, is national unity. Um, uh, Joe Biden has made it a hallmark of his entire campaign. From day one, he's talked about unifying a divided country, and, and he maintained that posture through thick and thin. Uh, he had a very tough primary cycle and maintained that, that theme. And, and running against Donald Trump, that's not the easiest theme in the world to have. But he stuck to it, and now he is the man who a lot of people are looking to now, the country, to uh, to unify us. And so his speech will echo that theme, but he'll also have an event uh, at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington National Cemetery where he brings together former presidents uh, in order to show that kind of unity. And and one notable absence from that, Rick, I mean, what about the symbolism tomorrow to have Vice President Mike Pence in attendance, but not President Trump, Rick? Well, I know that it, it seems from his public statements that uh, President-elect Biden just as soon Trump not be there. Um, and uh, I know when planning the uh, John McCain funeral uh, process, the family chose to have uh, Donald Trump not there also. And it, because he, he it, it, whenever he goes to someplace, it's all about him. And uh, and this is maybe the one day uh, where it, he's not the subject. And so 
it, I think it'll actually keep the focus on Joe Biden and his message and away from the distractions of uh, Donald Trump uh, uh, leaving office under the cloud of impeachment. I mean, just to follow up on that, and you brought it up, so let's rip up the script and, and go right to it. I mean, when you were planning the funeral for John McCain, I remember talking about all of that fodder and, and just the, the, the elements of the tension between uh, the late Senator McCain and, of course, uh, President Trump. And you're absolutely correct to suggest that it would have— it would have would it have taken away his presence from Biden's speech if the camera was just panning on on President Trump's face? Sure. I mean, we had to consider that it was uh, we had President Obama, President Clinton and President Bush all in attendance. They all played a role in the ceremonies at the National Cathedral. But we knew that uh, Donald Trump would not resist the opportunity to make it about himself. And, and really, we wanted to keep the focus on John McCain. And, and like the planners of the inaugural, they're going to want to keep the focus on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. All right. Drew Lippman, what are you going to be looking for tomorrow? Well, I'm looking for boldness from President Biden. Uh, huge COVID aid package, um, environmental remediation, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, expanding Obamacare, I think he's going to call for big infrastructure projects and, and big building on a scale that the federal government hasn't done in my memory. So I think he sees this as an opportunity. I think he sees the economy desperately needs some of this for the long term investment. Um, and I think he wants to strike while the iron's hot. It's going to be fascinating, especially when you have some of the confirmation hearings uh, that were that were uh, playing uh all throughout today. And, and Drew, did you glean any information from Chair Yellen's uh, confirmation hearing today in terms of just how crucial infrastructure will be to a Biden administration agenda? Well, I think there was a bit of a, of a going back in history element with Yellen's hearing because Republicans, almost all of whom voted for these big COVID aid packages, almost four trillion dollars in aid so far, are suddenly uh, becoming deficit hawks again <laughs> and and resistant to exactly the kind of spending they approved. And I don't want to sound cynical, but Obama went through the same thing. Republicans resist when it's proposed by Democrats. They're somewhat more enthusiastic, not completely enthusiastic, but at least compliant when it's proposed by Republicans. So I think there is that element, which means we could have some of those same tired old fights again over this COVID aid. It's going to be remarkable. Uh, Rick Davis, I mean, how crucial is the economic component of Biden's speech tomorrow? Well, I think it's in very important. Uh, there's a lot of questions about uh, whether or not he'll try to put revenue raisers into his stimulus activities. Uh, as uh, Drew was saying, uh, when you have someone like Janet Yellen say, go big, you know, when your Treasury Secretary says, let's tear up the checks and, 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 and do as much as we can, as quick as we can, uh, you would expect him to to really lay into that. Um, you know, so much of the recovery is going to depend upon people's ability to survive economically. And the only thing that stands uh, in the in the way of helping them is the federal government at this stage. State well, governments got, are broke. We've got sounds on this from uh, uh, Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen. Take a listen to Janet Yellen uh, testifying earlier today before the Senate Finance Committee about the need for economic stimulus. Over the next few months, we're going to need more aid. Neither the president-elect nor I proposed this release, relief package 
without an appreciation for the country's debt burden. But right now, with interest rates at historic lows, the smartest thing we can do is act big. In the long run, I believe the benefits will far outweigh the costs. She also went on to say that they will not repeal the 2017 tax cuts during the pandemic. I was struck by this, Rick. Uh, Take a listen on sound on that with regards to Chair Yellen saying they will not repeal the 2017 tax cuts during the pandemic. Eventually, as part of a larger package that would include significant spending and investment proposals, uh, but not now, while the pandemic is really depressing the economy, that he would want to repeal parts of the 2017 tax cuts that benefited the highest income Americans and large companies. So, I mean, Rick Davis, there you have it right there. I mean, they, they just said they're not going to get rid of those of those tax cuts, which is, I guess, conservatives would like that. Oh, yeah. It's the most asked question on Wall Street today is when is he going to raise our taxes? Um, yep. And and look, people have a, a, a big question mark there because in the uh, vice presidential debate during the campaign, uh, uh, now uh, Vice President Kamala Harris said, day one, we're going to repeal those tax cuts uh, for wealthy over four, you know, who have incomes over $400,000 a year. So there's an expectation that they have a desire to do it. Now the question is, um, will they listen to Janet Yellen and heed her sage advice on you know, not getting in the way of a recovery? So, I mean, when you hear Drew talk about the Republicans not or, or, and, and wondering, you know, where is the concern Republicans that I talk to for the national deficit? Are, are they going to present a significant challenge to a Biden administration in terms of all of this government spending? And how significant of a challenge can they actually be? I don't think they'll. Well, oh, go ahead. Drew. They're, they're, <laughs> sorry, Rick. They're going to provide a significant challenge. How significant, the second question you asked, is really the important one, because when it comes at least to tax measures and and certain deficit-cutting measures, Democrats can pass those through the Senate via reconciliation legislation, which only needs a majority to get through. Now, I think you can expect Democrats to be as creative as possible in defining what can fit into a reconciliation bill. But with a majority in the House and and Pelosi's firm control, and with 51 in the Senate, including the vice president, Democrats can do a lot in reconciliation. Now, Biden, I think, has extended an olive branch. He's told Republicans that on this first, this immediate uh, rebuilding package, relief package, he wants 10 Republican votes. He wants to pass in regular order with 60 votes. We'll see if that happens. But, but Democrats may have a trump card here. Yeah, Go ahead, I, Rick. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I, the, the steam is out of Republicans on the Hill on deficits, certainly in the near term. Uh, I can't imagine anybody's going to make a big fuss about them while you have this kind of economic dislocation related to the uh, COVID pandemic. And, and, and by the way, it's been a while since some of these Republicans spoke up on deficits. I mean, they didn't complain when George W. Bush spent a lot of money. <laughs> they got their hands in the pot during, uh, you know, uh, President Obama's tenure. Uh, and Donald Trump has added more to the debt than any one president, you know, uh, in history. So uh, they, they've got a little bit of a cloud hanging over them before they can start uh, arguing about this. They, all these things will become issues. But I, I definitely think the approach that 
uh, President-elect Biden has, which is we've got to do this in order to get beyond a pandemic uh, with a country that can still function economically. Everyone's going to buy into that. Coming up, we're going to check in with Congressman James Comer, who's a Republican representing Kentucky's first congressional district and is also the ranking member, on, so the top Republican on the House Government and Oversight Reform Committee. Uh, we're going to talk to him about all of these concerns in terms of uh, what's going on with the deficits and, and where Republicans really feel that their party is headed uh, now that the Biden administration is uh, going to be sworn in officially tomorrow. And remember, we will have special simulcast continuing coverage of President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration beginning tomorrow at 11 a.m. New York time. David Weston will lead our team on that front. Um, and you can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Rick Davis is going to stay. Drew Littman is going to stay. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. And this is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, joined by Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Drew Littman, a former Chief of Staff for Senator Al Franken. I mean, Drew, I don't think we've spent enough attention on this in the sense that Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is, is going to be breaking history tomorrow, Drew. Well, you know, I worked for her predecessor, Barbara Boxer, so I want to give Barbara her own shout out for making history. When Boxer and Feinstein were elected to the Senate in 92, I was working for Boxer. There were only two incumbent female senators and 98 male senators. That was wow. the same year that, that Patty Murray got uh, elected and Carol Mosley Braun. I was expecting, if you had told me by 2020 that we weren't going to be at 50-50 yet, I would have laughed at you. But we really haven't gotten close. So Kamala Harris really is a, is a trailblazer, and all credit to her, but I would have expected a lot more progress in the last 30 years. And I mean, I know that people listening who are on opposite sides of the aisle will not appreciate this, this bringing up, but Sarah Palin also was the broke some history, uh, Rick Davis, on your ticket in 2008. Yeah, I think it was just a matter of time that, that you would break this glass ceiling either for vice president or for president. Um, I, I'm, I'm totally agreement with Drew that, uh, if anything, I would have expected more by now. I would have uh, uh, thought that by now we would have elected a, a female president. And, uh, and, and kudos, though, to this ticket for uh, being successful and at least cracking some of that ceiling wide open. And, and you look at the, the potential candidates in 2024 – for the uh, 
Republicans. And of course, everyone's talking about Nikki Haley. And so it, it really seems that there has been a significant sea change, though ultimately the highest glass ceiling has not yet uh, been been broken. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden gave an address to Delawareans in Newcastle just before he left for Washington uh, earlier today. Uh, and now he's, go- of course, headed to D.C. for, for the inauguration. I, I want to play for this because I've got sound on this. And it was, as he put it, kind of an emotional moment for him. And he wiped away tears from his eyes. And I don't know if everyone saw this play out on social or even on, on different screens. But you can hear it in his voice. And the sound on this is really compelling. Take a listen. It's deeply personal that our next journey to Washington starts here, a place that defines the very best of who we are as Americans. I know know these are dark times, but there's always light. And he went on to say, he went on to talk about uh, his own career and tied it to his family. Here he is with that. Twelve years ago, I was waiting at the train station in Wilmington for a black man to pick me up on our way to Washington, where we were sworn in as president and vice president of the United States of America. And here we are today, my family and I, about to return to Washington to meet a black woman of South Asian descent to be sworn in as president and vice president of the United States. Drew Lipman, I mean, you hear it there in terms of how President-elect Biden is, is speaking about the magnitude of the moment, but I'm hard-pressed to find an incoming administration in my lifetime where uh, with this dire of a situation in terms of the severity of the pandemic and the, and the, the economy being what it is so incredibly unequal. You bet. I mean, the closest analogy, not in any of our lifetimes, is probably Franklin Roosevelt taking off. Yep. Uh, during the Depression. Biden's got a lot of challenges ahead of him. But I think one thing I I take comfort from, my Democratic and Republican colleagues do as well, is that he has put a very experienced, very highly qualified team on the field. Nobody disputes that. You might disagree with some of these people ideologically or around the edges a little bit. But man, he really has a good group of people assembled. And and I find this because as all of this was happening back here in Washington, D.C., in my neck of the woods, I mean, the talk of the town was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I mean, he really laid into President Trump on the Senate floor in words that I had not seen uh, from the leader's uh, office in years. And I've got sound on this. And, and take a listen. Uh, take a listen to what to what Leader McConnell said on the Senate floor earlier today. The last time the Senate convened. We had just reclaimed the Capitol from violent criminals who tried to stop Congress from doing our duty. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. I mean, you hear it right there, Rick Davis. He is not pulling back in terms of his blame uh, against President Trump. No, uh, it's the unleashed, unfettered, yeah. uh, unfettered uh, Mitch McConnell on his last day as majority leader, and uh, and he's decided to speak his mind. It was really refreshing, actually. He declared what everybody else knows and has seen with their own eyes and listened to. Uh, but uh, to hear him say that, a person who has enabled uh, Donald Trump's takeover of the federal court system and the Supreme Court, uh, is is got to be a shock to most of the Republican colleagues he has in the Senate. And I think a real signal 
that we're going to have a real impeachment trial coming up here. Well, and, and also he's he's not saying how he's going to vote, but you hear that and it's it's really it's it, you're hard pressed to say, OK, anyone who listens to that clip that he's not leaning in the direction of voting to convict. Right, Rick? I mean, you know this. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that uh, where his head is. And he's even made that statement last week that um, uh, he sees Donald Trump as being responsible for what happened at the Capitol. Uh, it falls into the uh, impeachment claim of incitement of insurrection. And yet he's withholding how he's going to vote on that. I, I think it's going to make uh, a lot of Republicans sit up and listen to uh, to what he's saying. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to check in with one of those Republicans, Congressman James Comer. Uh, he's a Republican from Kentucky's first congressional district. Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, Rick Davis is with me, Bloomberg Politics contributor. Rick, what's the word that comes to mind when you think of the Trump administration's tenure? Um, I would have to say... Uh, is um the word? <laughs> un unpredictable. Unpredictable. Uh, any okay. given day, you were going to get something that you would not expect. I'm going to go with sleepless. I don't think I slept a lot in the last five and a half years since... While covering him, joining well, me you, on the line. What's when, that? When, when you when you have tweets coming out at two o'clock yeah. in the morning all the time, you, uh, yeah. you're not going to get any sleep. You know that's where living in Asia might be a benefit because they were in a different time zone, so then they could just you know readjust and recalibrate their afternoons. Congressman James Comer is with me. He is a Republican representing Kentucky's first congressional district. Congressman, great to have you on. What's the word that comes to mind to describe President Trump's tenure? Disruptive. <laughs> and he was elected to be a disruptor, and I think he achieved his goal of disrupting and, you know, at least trying to drain the swamp. All right, let's take a listen to what President Trump had to say earlier today in a video message that was released. Here he is. I've got sound on it. As I conclude my term as the 45th President of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. He went on to say that he accomplished exactly what he set out to do. We've got sound on that as well. We did what we came here to do, and so much more. This week, we inaugurate a new administration and pray for its success in keeping America safe and prosperous. Congressman, now you look ahead, the Biden administration, Yellen was testifying on the Hill earlier today. Are you concerned about how Republicans are going to be able to work with a Biden administration on some economic issues? I am concerned. I mean, all you have to do is go back to the Obama playbook. And I think a lot of the policies from the Obama-Biden administration hurt our economy. I think they held the private sector back. And when you hear about uh, one of the first acts he's going to do is uh, cancel the Keystone Pipeline, uh, that's something that's very important to Republicans to lead our energy independence. It's important to workers. Those were going to be union jobs building that pipeline. Uh, you see that he's going to rejoin the Paris Agreement, and he's talking about major amnesty. So these are huge issues that Republicans are adamantly opposed to and not the kind of issues you would expect a president who talks about unity to start to start his administration with. So how do you forge ahead at a time in which everyone is saying they want there to be more bipartisanship, but when you have clear, clear ideological policy differences? Well, I wish that the president-elect would begin with issues where 
there is compromise. Uh, issues like infrastructure. Uh, when we talk about infrastructure, we talk about roads, bridges, uh, rural broadband, uh, huge areas where Republicans and Democrats can come together. And I think that if President Trump had started with infrastructure instead of health care, I think that uh, the first two years of his presidency would have been a lot smoother. And who knows, we may have held on to the majority in, in the House. But uh, clearly, Biden wants to start off with divisive issues. And, you know, they have a majority in the House, a slim majority in the House, and a, a, I guess a, by virtue of a tiebreaker, a majority in the Senate. But I don't think their margins are big enough to do a lot of the liberal radical agenda that a lot of the Democrat progressives are expecting Biden to do. How do you balance, Congressman James Comer, Republican from Kentucky's first congressional district, the need for infrastructure, which I hear you on, especially the digital infrastructure, 5G, 5G. Everybody wants to talk about 5G. But how do you balance that with too much government spending and the national debt? You know, I mean, there's a lot of concern about that. I'm concerned about the debt. I think that's an area where we've failed as a Congress, I've been in Congress four years, but if you go back the last 10 years, it's just been a, an abysmal failure, and I blame both parties for that. But looking forward, when you talk about the need for stimulus, we, we cannot continue to print money. We cannot continue to have government handouts. But when you look at the need to have stimulus, the need to uh, create jobs, why can't we invest in things that that will last a long time, infrastructure. And I think that an infrastructure bill could accomplish two goals, not only rebuild our crumbling infrastructure, but also create economic stimulus. And that's something that certainly would be achievable. Uh, when you talk about Biden's stimulus plan of eliminating student loan debt and creating new bureaucracies to try to fix social discrepancies uh, in America, that's not real stimulus. And, and with the spending spree that Congress has been on for the last decade, it's not attainable. Congressman Comer, this is Rick Davis. Thanks for being on. And uh, you, you talk about uh, infrastructure. It just reminds me of those weeks we would wait for that. Oh, this is the infrastructure rollout week. Oh, no, it's going to be next week now. And <laughs> I remember week after them, that. too. And yeah. uh, it, was, it, was, it, it almost became a meme. Um, but uh, similar to what uh, Kevin was talking about on 5G, uh, you've remarked uh, a couple times about um, uh, you know, sort of where policy is being made uh, by industry, and that is uh, the tech companies basically shutting down Donald Trump uh, uh, on backlash over his comments and activities around the attack on the Capitol. And and that's obviously going to present itself as a big uh, public policy issue. And, and this is a case where industry took action, and now government's going to have to determine where the parameters are. And what's your sense of when that's going to come up in this Congress? Well, I think it's going to be a priority for Republicans when you talk about repealing Section 230. That's obviously something that uh, the president desperately wanted, uh, the main reason he vetoed the NDAA bill. Uh, but I think it's something that the Democrats are going to want to look into, too, because before, before Donald Trump had his feud with Twitter and Facebook over censorship and when they refused to uh, allow the Hunter Biden story to be on their platform. Democrats were the ones that had problems with big tech because, in general, Democrats don't like 
those big tech companies. They feel like they have monopolies. They're big, profitable companies. And you've always had people like Elizabeth Warren wanting to bust Facebook up and uh, bust a lot of these big tech companies up. So I think that the big tech companies are going to be in for uh, quite the surprise when uh, you've clearly got a divided America. You've clearly got a yeah. between both parties. But then when it comes to big tech, I think you can see both parties coming together to make major reform. All right, Congressman James Comer, i got to leave it there. Thanks so much, sir, for your time. Catch up with you soon. He's a Republican representing Kentucky's first congressional district, Western Kentucky, not Louisville. I love Louisville, though. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg Radio. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Just moments ago, President-elect Joe Biden, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and their respective spouses were at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, honoring in a moment of silence those who have lost their lives to COVID-19, overlooking a candlelit national mall, a secluded now national mall, fenced in. And if you've never been to Washington, at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, it overlooks the reflection pool, which then leads to the Washington Monument, which is a large obelisk at the center point between Lincoln and the Capitol building. Of course, the Capitol building, the uh, scene of the attack on the Capitol just some days ago. So a really remarkable, remarkable scene, a profound uh, statement, so to speak, that is setting the tone for tomorrow's inauguration coverage, which will begin at 11 a.m. Eastern time. And remember, you can listen, catch, watch all of the uh, inauguration coverage on Bloomberg Radio, as well as Bloomberg Television. Our David Weston is going to be leading the team coverage on that front. Here with me now, Bloomberg Politics contributor Rick Davis and Drew Lippman, Policy Director at Brownstein Hyatt Farber and Sheck, Shrek, former Chief of Staff for Senator Al Franken and a former Policy Director for Senator Barbara Boxer. Drew, you know, we, we were talking about McConnell earlier, but I mean, did you hear Chuck Schumer? The minority leader, soon to be majority leader, Chuck Schumer. I've got sound on what he had to say earlier today. I want to play it and then I want to get your reaction. Here he is. We got three things we got to do, do quickly <clears throat> impeachment, nominations, COVID. Got to move them all fast. I mean, there you have it right there, Drew. That's on the agenda for, for the Dems. Yeah. You know, Kevin, what strikes me right now is that at this point, uh, in the Barack Obama presidency or just before the Barack Obama presidency, in his first week in office, he had 
10 cabinet secretaries confirmed, plus a holdover defense secretary from the Bush administration, Bob Gates. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's on a path to have zero cabinet secretaries confirmed. And, you know, some of it can wait. Some of it doesn't have to be done right away. But you'd certainly like your national security team in place. Um, and it looks like the secretary, the secretary of state nominee or designate, Tony Blinken, isn't going to get a vote this week. Senator Josh Hawley is blocking Alex Mayorkas, the uh, Department of Homeland Security nominee. So Biden's really not even going to have a semblance of a team. Now, he's surrounded by experienced aides. But you really want to see these people in their jobs, setting policy, hiring people, advising the president, and Biden's sort of hamstrung this first week. It's it's really interesting. And just as I was, just as you were finishing that uh, thought, a uh, headline crossed on my Bloomberg terminal. Tony Blinken, who of course is. Um, is nominated to be Secretary of State. He says that the United States is still a, quote, long way, end quote, from a stronger Iran deal, which seems to suggest that they will have uh, much longer negotiations, uh, Rick Davis, in terms of the Iran nuclear disarmament deal. But that's a key difference amongst Republicans and Democrats. Oh, it's a key difference, but it is a uh, embodiment of what Drew is talking about. I mean, you know, these guys are going to take office. They're going to act as Secretary of State, Secretary of Tre uh, uh, Treasury, Defense, but they're not going to have the statutory power of being confirmed in those jobs. And those those issues aren't waiting for that. Right. They're going to hit them right in the face day one. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see how this administration tries to move into these arenas while they're getting their teams in place. And and we know that uh, it's one of the uh, legacy items from the Obama Biden term of office, this deal with Iran and and you can't let Iran uh, go forward with developing a nuclear program. So you know, you got to do something about it. Uh, and so obviously that's going to be one of the big foreign policy challenges. But, you know, get in line, China, North Korea, <laughs> Russia. I mean, let's mm -hmm. go on and on. It's, you're right. I mean, and, and just in terms of uh, where I think the geopolitical uh, nature of this could head is with North Korea. As I've said frequently, uh, typically they test uh, anytime there's an American transition of power. So it will be interesting to see what they have to whether or not they try to, to rock the boat uh, at all in this transition. Uh, we should note President-elect Biden and his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, they are now inside of the Blair House, which, of course, is the historic um, facility across the street from the White House where an incoming administration stays uh, ahead of uh, the night before they become uh, president of the United States. So, I mean, wow. I mean, Rick, just the history of this moment, the magnitude of this moment, you think of just Washington, D.C., 25,000 troops here, a totally, totally different city. I can't stress that enough. Just living here for the past nearly decade in, in the vicinity and living downtown in Washington, it is I, I don't recognize the city. I mean, but but even so, this peaceful transition of power is still occurring. Um, and the traditions, albeit different, are still taking place. And now the Bidens are at Blair House. Kevin, I, I thought your description of uh, the Bidens uh, going to the Lincoln Memorial and um, and and having a moment there to uh, to uh, uh, pay their respects to the covid uh, victims uh, it just it brought back all these images of what presidents do. And this is this is the moments leading up to a presidency. I mean, people want to see their presidents do these symbolic things. So much of the power of that office are the moments you create that bind the country together. Nobody will criticize a moment at the Lincoln Memorial 
to respect those who have been affected by COVID. And, and, and I think that's what we, I think, just yearn for is that kind of symbolism and, and, and pomp and circumstance of the office to give it back the luster that it had before uh, the Trump presidency, who, you know, he, he, he could put on a good event, but usually um, uh, the messaging would be, you know, run off the rails. And so uh, I do think we're about to enter a new era where we, we see that kind of symbolism coming back into the daily work of the presidency. I think Drew Lippman come in here because it's, it's, it's almost Aaron Sorkin-esque, for lack of a better word. But is the country craving that? I mean, you know, it, for, I, to me, when Leader McConnell goes to St. Matt's in downtown D.C., my parish uh, here in D.C., tomorrow with President-elect Joe Biden, and I shouldn't call it my parish, where I go is where I should say. My parish is back in Delco. But, I mean, that symbolism right there of a Republican and a President-elect going to mass together, that is light years away from where we were two weeks ago, Drew Lippman. Well, I think with Joe Biden, you, you get a return to normalcy, but more than that, you get a return to a certain kind of traditional behavior. And in Biden's behavior, you can see a little bit of the, the DNA of the Clinton presidency and the Obama presidency, but also in his relationships with people like Senator McCain when Biden served in the Senate. People who behave graciously on all kinds of circumstances, under all kinds of pressure, dealt grace, graciously with people they didn't necessarily like, people they certainly didn't agree with, but saw themselves as having a higher mission than being vindicated on any one point. And that mission was, was a broader mission of public service. All right. What do you think? What, what is, I, I asked this question to, uh, to our other guests, and Drew, you're not getting away with this. What is the one word <laughs> that, that comes to mind when you think of the Trump years? Discuss. Um, all right. I, I said I said sleepless because I, I didn't do a lot of sleeping <laughs> during during the uh, during the Trump administration with all of the round the clock coverage I, that I our team did. Congressman Comer, you know, saying it was disruption that may was a be good the nail on the word. head. I, I mean, think you can take that wins. any way you want it, right? You know, that's I I agree. Congressman Comer won that little contest that we did on Bloomberg Radio Sound On. Christine Barada, our executive producer, what's the prize? Coffee? I, I mean, who knows? Um, all right, we got a couple minutes left here. What are you going to be looking for in Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's remarks tomorrow? First, I'll start with Drew. Um, I think uh, a sense of history in terms of Rick, I think, talked about this earlier um, very aptly, a sense of history in, in her roots and in representation and in what she brings to the office and the ways in which she provides a, a balance for the new president. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the burden on the vice president at this point isn't very heavy. So I'm sure her remarks will be well received. All right, Rick, you? Yeah, I think uh, similar. I, I do believe she's still introducing herself to the American public and, and the global public. Um, mm -hmm. She's now in a position of power uh, that everybody in the world is, is, is going to try and evaluate that and understand who she is and what motivates her. And, and it's her job to describe some of that to them, right? I mean, it's going to be great to hear her family story again. I hope so. It's a compelling story. But I think she's going to need to lay out a little bit about what her vision of the world is and how she fits into it and how their administration is going to manage it. I think it's it's for me tomorrow is going to be about observing 
where the tone of the country goes because we have so much that divides us. But is there a reminder tomorrow for what unites us? I think the, the images of leader Mitch McConnell going to, to mass uh, with President-elect Joe Biden could come as a refreshing, refreshing moment for, for many people who have covered, worked, observed these incredibly partisan times. Um, and it will be remarkable to see what moments unfold and the, and the personalities that emerge that we can glean from them. I mean, there's going to be the Bushes, the Obamas, uh, Pence's are going to be there. So just all of those, they'll be socially distant, but, but observing all of those inner workings as well is going to be important. I mean, this is, whether we like it or not, this is the state of American politics. But tomorrow we get to see what direction not just the ideology is headed in, but the leadership, the tone. Politics has to be about something more, yes, more than policy. Thanks to Drew Lipman. Thanks to Rick Davis. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.